Welcome to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. Outsourced Accountant Podcast. This is your go-to podcast if you're the owner of an accounting or bookkeeping firm who is looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team. Here, you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity, and deliver more to your clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Hi, I'm James Devaney from Devaney Payne, and you're listening to The Outsourced Accountant. Hello and welcome to the TOA, the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. My name is Trent McLaren and today I have an amazing, awesome guest. We always have amazing guests, but today we have another one. We have James Devaney from Devaney Payne. James, how are you today, my friend? I'm excellent. Thank you, Trent. Uh, Good to talk to you again. Yes, you too. Thank you for coming on to the show. So for the first time, uh, listeners, this show, this episode is all about accounting offshoring and the journey that uh, we've got from clients of the outsourced account have gone through. And what we want to do is actually show their insights, their nuggets on what worked for them in their journey so that you can take that away and understand how does this work in your own journey. So today, James, just briefly, how are you going? How's the things in your side of the world? Yeah, look, Trent, at the moment, things are going really well. Um, we got through COVID. Um, we've got our team back together, which is fantastic. We managed to get pretty much all our clients through, which was an absolute awesome achievement. Unfortunately, we only lost one client to the whole liquidation type situation. Yeah. Um, but outside that, and that's probably our proudest stat, regardless of all the funding and stuff that we've got for our client, the fact that we only lost one business during the whole COVID journey um, is probably something we've celebrated um, so much as an organization. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I think it's the last 12, and it's ongoing, but I think the last 12 to 18 months has been some of the toughest that a lot of people have ever had to face. Uh, I talk about it a little bit the last couple of episodes, but I've just come back from London in December and watching the businesses go through what they've had to go through and like with a lot of closures, some of them not being open for eight, nine, 10 months, only surviving on um, funding was, was really tough. I love hearing those stories though. That's awesome. Just, and again, this is a, not how we start every episode, I guess, but just on that, like was there, that was a key focus for you, as you mentioned, was there specific things that you guys were jumping into to help put clients in the best possible place for that? Um, one of the key things that we've probably done, we actually started some of this about three or four years ago, Trent. We've changed a lot of our clients over to regular monthly direct debits or weekly direct debits with, from their cash flow point of view with us. Yep. Um, and we found that that helped our cash flow so much. So what we started to do was bring in some of the philosophies that um, we have as an organization. We've always tried to keep you know, roughly one to two months worth of funding as like a war chest. So regardless of what's happening, like obviously you know, COVID-19 was unforeseen by everybody. You know, There's always going to be an issue in a business, whether it be scaling up and requiring capital for injection, whether it be new staff hires. Um, whether it be loss of contracts, having having that funding model sitting in the background as a war chest has certainly helped a lot of our clients get to this stage. And then from there, we're constantly analyzing to try and see what we can do better. So getting a lot of our clients on the zero, so we had a lot of live data to work with and actually analyzing to look for those 1% gains. You know, it's people sort of talk about, you know, a really good performing business runs somewhere between say nine and 15%, as high as 22% uh, net profit. Yep. But in order to get there, you're not going to ha- that's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to take a couple of years. Mm. Um, but if you can look and say, right, I, I can influence sales this year by one and a half, two percent. You know, I can influence some of the cost of goods sold by half a percent or one percent. When you finally work through all those numbers and get down to that bottom line, 
you know, that five or six or 10% that you're able to add to help increase that business's efficiency and the way it runs and is huge. So an ex- a story from our own thing. So when we started looking at outsourcing, one of the things we went to in a big way was to look at the way our systems work. And what we found was jobs that were should have been only taking eight to 10 hours to do were taking us upwards of, you know, 16 to 25 hours. And what we, what we found by looking at the system was going, hold on a second, our whole system that we've set up here is not conducive to getting the best out of our staff, the best out of our data that we've got. So we sat down and revamped a lot of that about four years ago. And but taking that internal knowledge that we've got and applying the same type of situations to our clients, so saying, okay, gross profit is at X percent. We believe it should be here. Let's have a look at where's your wastage. Let's have a look at what's going on. You know, is, is the running cost on that truck too high? Let's start to analyze that. You know, you're starting to look at where does all that happen? And you know, taking that experience from your own journey as, a, as an organization and building out to that, it's helped immensely. I love that. That's awesome. And this actually helps us kind of start the session off properly, but there's a, there's a good, you can hear it in the way that you talk about and articulate the focus for clients and how that stemmed from your own focus going through your internal uh, workflows, managing your own job profitability, et cetera. But if you want to go back a little bit further, how did Devony Payne come to life? Talk, talk to me a bit about the business story and the history of, of you know, where you were and how you got to, to where you are today. Yeah. So, um, I worked for uh, one accounting firm and uh, learned a lot under the managing director there. Um, rose through the ranks quite quickly to the point where I was 23 and run, uh, being branch manager. Um, so it's all whatever opportunity I could take. Uh, I approached the managing director as a buy-in option. And at the same time, another accounting firm um, offered me a, a, a new role with the option to be partner in two years. I went to the owner of that business after 18 months and said, okay, let's talk about signing on as partner. Let's talk about going through the process and got blocked every way I turned. So I went, you know what, I've had enough of this. I can't do it any worse than anybody else, taking into account the fact that I'm blind and sort of, sort of trying to figure out, you know, I've worked through that hurdle all my life and I'd had enough. So what I just, what, what we decided, I spoke to my wife, who was a huge you know, support and driving success behind what I did. And we were about to move into a brand new home. I had an 18-month-old son and I chucked in my job and said, see ya. Um, That's and- crazy. <laughs> that's, yeah, basically, that's awesome. <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> we basically got to the stage where we, our, our, our measure of success was to be able to earn the same amount of money from our business at that point in time as what you know I was earning as a wage. Yeah, and just basically said, you know what, we're putting all this effort in and doing all this, and not like don't get me wrong, I learned a lot from my previous employers. Yeah, um, learned some good stuff. I learned some bad stuff. Um, but overall, it made me really value what I want to give back to my clients because 100%. people saw my people saw my blindness as a way of taking advantage and going, you know what, you're blind, no one else is going to give you a job, you, you're stuck with us. Whereas, yeah. can I pause on that for a sec? Because I don't know that I was aware of this. So when you say when you say blind, what, what do you mean? Like talk like as in you can't you can't see at all? Uh, I see mainly light and dark, and okay. when I'm talking to people, I see silhouettes. Okay, crazy. So in terms of like, because, you know, counting, numbers, all that sort of stuff, talk mm-hmm. to me, how, how, how does your day-to-day, how does that impact your day-to-day and what you're doing? Or how do you how do you do that? Yeah, so everything in my office either talks, beeps, or pretty much whistles. Okay. Um, so I use iPhones. Yeah. Um, and it, and it obviously has Siri, which works for me, works fantastic. Um, on my laptop, I use JAWS. Yeah. 
Um, we use Zero as our main platform, and I find that my software interacts really well with that. So running reports and things out of that. Um, we use Practice Ignition for our agreements. Once again, yep. the software that I use works really well for reading through that. So all that sort of done based on screen readers. I've got a, a digital camera that sits in my office that I can put a document underneath. And it'll instantly start to read out to me what what's going on. Really, so, I love that. This is awesome. That's really cool. Well, well done. Like that's uh, yeah. I wasn't expecting that for this to be the start of the conversation. I should do more research in the future, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> that's um that's really cool. Oh my goodness. Wow. I mean, just because to think about what I know about Devony Payne, and maybe you want to talk to us about where you are. Because I, I know you guys are like have been around for um, a little while now, but I always think of you guys as an established firm out in Bacchus Marsh Way. I knew about you guys from my time at PI. I think I've knew a few of the other employees there as well. Um, you guys have done some really cool big things. Like you, do, do you want to talk me through how long has the business been running for now? How many clients are you working through? How many team members? Yeah, so um, we've got. 14 years under our belt at the moment. So we're a three-partner firm with one of our partners retiring um, at the end of June. So we're sort of working through his transition at the moment and making sure that uh, the legacy for John is certainly held there. Uh, Krishan, who joined us back in 2010, came on for a three-week work experience. Um, and it's been the longest three weeks of work experience in <laughs> some of us. <laughs> we, we had an accountant going overseas, so we um, offered him a spot to come and Work with us for three weeks. <laughs> Hopefully, still not on work experience wages. <laughs> no, that's it. That's it. So November, November 2015, he signed on as full partner. So um, he took the opportunities that we put in front of him. Yep. Um, and has been an absolute godsend as far as helping us with our outsourcing. Yeah. Um, certainly helping us with our tech side of things. So, and that's one of the things I think um, has worked really well is because of my, I like eyesight. Like I lost a lot of my eyesight in my late twenties, and then a fair chunk again in my um, early thirties. It meant that the way the firm ran um, had to change. Yeah, you know, um, and the way we interacted with people had to change because if I was going to add any value to my organisation, we had to change the way that was. So the original philosophy with the business was sort of building a business that I could sit inside and you know would never have to worry about losing my job, would never have yeah. to, any of that sort of stuff. You know, because like I was diagnosed at seven. You know, as a seven-year-old, you've never seen someone who's blind. You know, you, you don't know what their life looks like. It's a very scary situation, you know. So when, when you go through a situation where you've had people take advantage or try to, and so then you build your whole world around protecting yourself. And initially we tried that. Um, and then I got to the stage where I'm like, you know what, but I don't necessarily love running the Vinny Yeah. You know, I love working with the clients. I love yep. being involved on the day-to-day issues and helping them. There was a client a couple of years back that we helped where we got them to take out life insurance and help them plan all that. You know, unfortunately, he, the guy ended up contracting brain cancer. And, um, you know, we then helped his family work through that whole transition. And because of the policy and stuff that we helped him get, he was able to take it. He, he lasted 13 months and we were able to take the policy out a second time. So he ended up netting $2 million for his family, of which he invested into a house. And then he left money for his kids and his wife. And we helped transition the business and everything else. You know, for me, that's what I get out of bed for helping people, helping get things turned around and changed. So, in 2018, there was an opportunity to buy a law firm, and we did. We bought that. We bought the law firm, so then we had the additional service. So we got the financial financial planning. We got the mortgage broking. We got the law, the legal aspect covered for our clients. So yep. heading heading forward, you know, we're looking at HR and IT and a few other areas. So to try and offer those services, so when our clients are in trouble or before they can get into trouble, we know we can identify things. We can help them understand what's the next stage of their journey. 
Totally. I mean, it's awesome. Wow. That's really cool. I'm, I'm in awe. I'm almost gobsmacked because this is not where I thought we were going in this conversation today. That's amazing. Just trying to think through. So, you mentioned before, businesses that are 12, 14 years in now, how many onshore team members do you guys have in the firm at the moment? Uh, we have 19 onshore yep. and we currently have five offshore yep. and we're recruiting a sixth offshore member. Got it. So, yeah, okay. And what was what led to this point, right? Because you've been working, as you mentioned, worked in practice and decided you're going to go do it yourself. At what point did you make a decision on whether offshoring was going to be the right thing for you? And I guess what was your thoughts or experience with that prior yeah. to getting started? So, the story goes back to 2012. Um, the software vendor that we had at the time um, was changing their product and the new product wasn't going to quite match with what we wanted. And we weren't prepared to pay the increase. So we were away at ATSA in Queensland at the time. We were looking for a product that would match our need. And what we found was everyone had good pieces, but no one had what we wanted. Yep. But what we looked at was every single product had an icon to click on to go to that next functionality. So then what we decided as a management team, myself, John and Krishan, was why not pick best in breed? So we started looking at what was best in breed at that time and looking at how would that fit our organization. Now, while we were away at the time, um, I, I I do a lot of reading. You know, um, I sleep on average sort of five six hours a night. Um, so I'll wake at two in the morning and I'll read for a couple of hours, and then I'll go out to sleep and I'll wake again and whatever else. So while we're away, I was just reading you know, the the report about the you know the government and how what our trading partners look like and things like that. And what we found was you know Indonesia, our nearest neighbour, was only four percent. They're ten times our size, two hundred and fifty million people. We're twenty five. Mm. You know. Like, how is it possible that it's such a small percentage? So I started yeah. looking at that and looking at what was happening in the Australian economy. You know, we're losing jobs offshore, manufacturing was getting taken, and we're losing all these jobs. So we're a small nation compared to the rest of the world. So how can we take what we're good at? So we've got 11 of the 13 different climate zones in Australia. So environmental products, technology, in, you know, knowledge nation are things that started going through my head going, why are we not investing in this? And so then I started talking to some of my clients who had products and said, okay, you got this product. At the moment, you sell how many of those in Australia? And there might be, say, 500 of this particular product. Found projects and stuff overseas and went, we could sell 10 times what you're selling here over there. And they're like, but how do we get into that market, James? And so that's when we, my partners and I started saying, okay, how can we start to develop the knowledge overseas given that we're only such a baby firm at that point in time. Like we're talking 2012, we've only been around for five years. So we started investigating and that's when offshore started coming along because we're looking at going, okay, we can start to hire staff overseas, which have their Australian trained, fantastic. But at the same time, they've also got local knowledge. So by getting that local knowledge would then allow us to open up the markets. So we started looking at um, places like India. So you've got jobs that have gone offshore and, you know, but what's happening with all that is those jobs are actually moving an entire generation from being below the poverty line to a middle-class society. So by getting it into a middle-class society, they become consumeristic. So then yep. you start to have a whole market tap into it. And that's how we got there. It's the first time I've heard of a firm stepping into offshoring in your own business 
because of a lack well, of a way of researching other markets to look at how to help clients launch other products into. Uh, I love it. I think that's cool. That's great. So, because we talked about a little bit this in the in the pre session of the the this session today, um, but mm. you, you talked about the ways that you structure your offshore teams at the moment. So you mentioned you got five. You're about to hire six. Um, talk, talk to me about the roles and what you get them to do and why. What was the motivation to get those specific roles into the business? Yeah. So um, the guys out of India um, that we have working for us. Um, Rena Kushbu, and we just hired a new guy over there at the moment, and his name escapes me. So apologies for that. Um, basically, because they come online at three o'clock in the afternoon and work through to about eight, uh, sorry, eleven o'clock, if not midnight. So we get we get them to do a lot of our tax preparation. Um, we find their attention to detail is amazing. We find that their you know following systems and procedures is brilliant, and that works really well. It's not necessarily time sensitive, but it's stuff that we can send off if it's packaged correctly. It'll go off, and overnight it'll come back the next day, ready for an accountant here to review. Um, whereas our team in the Philippines, so we've got an administrator over there, which is Grace, and she works as reception and also as a PA to one of the partners. Um, and we got Kay, and Kay is one of our bookkeepers, and she's just lovely. Um, she's an absolute dynamo. You give her a list and she just churns and burns. So she's fantastic. And what we found was the admin and bookkeeping aspect of what we did had a lot more time sensitivity to it. So based on that, um, what we looked at doing was having that more in our time zone, which is why the Philippines worked well for us. So we're looking at the Philippines and the other place we're looking at was Malaysia at the time. But um, Malaysia was, has been just a little bit harder to crack. But anyway, that's sort of where that's at. Interesting. Okay. So for a lot of people, like there's a lot of fears, right? When people go to set up offshore teams because they don't know what they don't know. What were some mm. of the fears that you had prior or maybe it wasn't a fear, but a concern? What were some of the concerns and things that you wanted to be aware of before? Yeah. And what have you learned about those things since going offshore? So I guess the philosophy around staff offshore is the same philosophy that really applies here. You know, because obviously now we're in a world where working from home is more the norm, um, whether that's a 60-40 split or whatever that looks like. The key thing that we took out of the whole process, because obviously you go through the situation saying, okay, but well, what about my data? You know, is it is it secure? You know, um, how, do, how do I know I'm getting full value for money as far as work's concerned? Um, how do I know that, you know, um, the people that I'm getting are as trained and set up as they should be? And look, a lot of these questions are really easy to answer. You know, because it doesn't matter whether you make a bad hire here in Australia or you make a bad hire overseas, the risks that you face are all the same. Yeah. You know, but then you've got to look at the potential danger. So why would a person overseas suddenly decide to steal your data? What's going to make them do that? You know, if if you're if that becomes your key focus, then really offshoring is not going to be what you're going to ever achieve. Because it doesn't matter whether you're here in Australia or overseas, someone committing theft from your organisation is a reality. Yep. You know, but at the same time, they've got a job with you. You know, they're earning good money. You know, they've got great benefits. So why are they going to want to jeopardise that? Why are they going to want to do anything like that? If you treat the staff member right, you provide that career path for them, you provide the training, you know, you, you show the stability and respect that they deserve, then all the rest of it is superfluous. You can put in things like practice protect and that works great. Like we use that both onshore and offshore. Yep. You know, but the biggest thing that we've found that has worked the best 
with our offshore and onshore is not looking at them as that. You know, the staff that we have overseas are as much a divinity paying staff member as anyone. You know, for us, TOA is a facility that allows us to hire overseas to do the recruiting, to provide the equipment and that that we need, that we hire. But as far as we're concerned, the girls that work there for us are divinity paying. You know, we celebrate their birthdays. We get a birthday cake sent to them. Um, we send presents to them. They, we do a whole firm get-together, and we sing happy birthday to them, the same as we would do here in Australia. So the overseas place is just a location. It doesn't matter whether you're in Bacchus Marsh or whether you're in Brisbane or whether you're off in you know, Broome. It's just a location. Yeah. And that's where the biggest part of the mindset needs to be, not, oh, they're off overseas and this is going to happen. No, it's not. If the person was in Broome, they could just easily steal your data that's what they can from the Philippines. Completely agree. It's, uh, I think the last 12 months, 18 months has shown us anything is that we've had to learn how to trust better and uh, then open up the possibility. It doesn't matter where people are when you, you know, when we need to hire them. We just need the best person with the skills. We need the right person to do the right job at the right mm-hmm. time. Uh, yeah. That's completely key. I love that you're the, the vision or what you've sort of cast for the business is that, you know, whether it's the Philippines team member or your team in, in Bacchus Marsh, everyone gets a birthday cake, right? Everyone gets a song. And because mm-hmm. that makes everyone, that's the culture of bringing everyone together and um, creating that unity. And that that's really yeah. important. I speak to a lot of different firms that when they're first thinking about it, they contemplate it as a tap thing that they can just sort of turn on and off. And in my head, I'm mm-hmm. like, guys, this is a, it's an investment, right? This is something mm-hmm. you've got to invest in too because you're hiring people and employing them in, in other countries. You know, this is, they have a future and it's not, it's not an app, right? It's not a piece of technology mm-hmm. where you can just stop subscribing. That's when- the biggest thing. That was, and that was certainly a mistake that we made very, very early on is we looked at the team in India because that was our first place we started outsourcing as they were a resource. And unfortunately, that's how we treated them, you know, and looked at that and went, hold on a second. Why do they not have career paths the same as a firm here? You know, why do they not have, you know, because they're still young. They're still humans. They're still people, you know. You know, they're in their 20s. They're in their 30s. They want to go up. And, and what we found is both the people overseas are just as thirsty for knowledge as what your team is in Australia. And it is an investment. You know, like we find to train a staff member in Australia, and you take is roughly, you say, nine to 12 months by the time you go through check the cycles, get them used to your work papers, get all that sort of stuff going. Whereas an offshore team will be some, you know, 12 to 18 months. Now, primarily, that's a result of the distance and sometimes, you know, understanding. So someone in the Philippines is not going to know what Bunnings is unless they've got Australian experience first. Someone in India isn't going to know what Bunnings is because Bunnings doesn't exist over in those countries. You know, so it's it's an education process. But once you get them there, like, it's amazing how fast. Like, Kay, our bookkeeper out of um, the Philippines, like, you know, for the first 12 months, you know, she was coming along. You could see the progress. You know, it it took us sort of five or six months to to seem to get there. But then once she kicked it in, the last sort of four or five months, wow. You know, the stuff that she's smashing out now, like, we've got her doing FBT returns. You know, so she's gone from doing basic bookkeeping, learning how to reconcile, learning what Bunnings is, learning what a receipt bank is, learning HubDoc, learning all those things, you know, to now, you know, she's preparing FBT returns and she's submitting work cover. She's taking phone calls from clients. You know, it's just, it's huge. Love that. they're lovely. They're absolutely lovely girls, you know. 
They're amazing culture, amazing people. I learned this the other day that the Philippines is the, if it's not number one, because the statistics are out of date, but between first and third most emotional mm-hmm. countries in the world in terms of the people. And the reason I love that is because it gen- generally everything they do is motivated about how do I help someone else do better? How do I help make things easier for someone? Um, they, you know, they can be motivated by um, money and things like all people, but primarily they um, emotionally invest. In, in getting a good outcome like that's naturally what their culture and country is all about um so i love that as soon as some i because tom is my ea who organizes a lot of the, the things and, and the podcasts mm. and sessions that we run and uh, i know mm. he gets a big kick out of being able to just you get that feedback of like thanks tom you really made an impact and made that really easy for everyone he's like oh thanks so much i love that i'm you know i'm glad that that mm. had, a, had a purpose and a meaning and um that's awesome. So uh, my my question, I guess, on the back of this is that when, like, if you, you say you're brand new and you were going to talk to someone who was brand new, never done offshoring before, what are kind mm-hmm. of the first two to three things they should be thinking about when that person starts, right? So yeah. first day, yeah. what are the key things they should focus on? Yeah. So um, let let's just go back one step before first day. Yeah. So what we've done is we've built a lot of systems and procedures. You know, um, our Procedures um, are written and also recorded using stream. So we've got all that set up. So when we're actually doing training, we've got that. Then we use to-do lists to actually outline what the training is. So we try and put a bit of this in their hand. In, well, it doesn't matter whether we're onboarding here in Australia or whether we're onboarding um, offshore. So we've just onboarded a new bookkeeper here in Australia, and she's working through the to-do list, um, and she's ticking off the task. You know, she knows that um, she needs to have some training in STP, but she knows who's responsible for training that. So therefore, she's able to make that contact herself. So what we've done is we've outlined a plan of what they need to know um, and let them know who's um, involved. So day one for us is always orientation. You know, for the first half of the day, you know, we talk about who we are, what we do. We try and find out as much about that person as we possibly can. You know, do they live in, like our girls are based out of Cebu, but do they live in Cebu City or are they outside? Um, are they, is their family there? You know, learning about who they are and what makes them tick because it helps then interact with them. Um, the second half of the day, um, what we then do is go through a bit of a quiz. So we quiz them on Webflow Max um, and getting an understanding as to what do they know about the software. And so we go through each piece of software to find out what do they have any preconceived ideas? Is there anything they actually know? So we can actually tick some of that stuff off as we're going through. So we're not actually teaching them how to suck eggs again. <laughs> um, and then from there, we introduce our app stack, which had one of the girls actually, uh, Grace, um, out of the, out of the Philippines, built our app stack, and she went through and put all the logos and stuff of all the different software providers, plus um, links, whether it be from the actual software provider itself or from YouTube. She found links that give a full overview of the software and how it works, and you know she built all this for us. You know, the guys in the Philippines are so tech savvy and so Microsoft savvy; it's incredible. It just yeah, absolutely blows my mind. Um, so that, that that's basically day one, and then what we then do is we plan out from there and say, righto. If they're coming on as a bookkeeper, let's look at the type of bookkeeping jobs that they've got. So it doesn't matter whether we're transitioning a job here in Australia or transitioning a job overseas, you know, um, we go through our checklist and we we put all the data down that they need to know and then we get them into the file. We spend two hours going through the file with them, making sure they're comfortable, um, and then we let them do some work on the file and we come back and we have a recheck in and check how it's going. You know, um, we give them a mentor that they can actually work with. Yep, like a buddy type system. Yeah, like a buddy type system. Yep. yep. So, 
And norm, and like we started running um, Innovation Hour, which is a project where the whole, we shut the whole firm down for two hours, um, once a quarter, and the whole firm gets to look at what we do and how we do it. Yeah. And the feedback that we got from not only our team here in Australia, but our team overseas was, hey, you know what? I've never had the opportunity to influence the way a business operates. I've never had the opportunity to throw up ideas and just have people listen to what I've got to say. And because we mix up the groups, so um, we take we took our admin team and we broke them up into four groups, and then we took our accounting team and broke it up into four groups, and same with our bookkeeping team. And so they worked with people they never worked with before, just to try and see what the dynamics were like, to get them to interact with each other. And some of the ideas that came out of what the guys came up with were just absolutely amazing, simple but amazing. And so far, we've executed about five or six of those ideas, and we're finding that the impact it's having having on the firm is driven even more innovation off the back of that because they realize that we're, you know, we're prepared to listen and we're prepared to change and we're prepared to understand what this what we can offer and what we can do better. You know, and that's been really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. I enjoy that. Um, the innovation hour thing's really cool. I've heard of uh, I don't see a lot of firms doing it, but the ones that I find are generally, you know, really happy with their growth and progression and how things are going, typically have that investment of everyone being able to buy into what the business is doing. So, um, well done, well done. I think that's an awesome initiative you got going, and even cooler that you can get. Cause again, this comes back to the perception where people think that for whatever reason, people are just and there's trust, right? They don't know and they don't trust what they don't know. So they just assume mm. anyone outside of Australia, like how could they give an idea? How would they know? Because that you know, what do they know about us and, and blah blah blah. But I think I love to challenge that narrative and say actually we're all people with creative brains. We all can do this if we're given the space and the opportunity to do so. Um so yeah, no Trent, that's all- I'll give you a, give you an example of a book that my wife got me to read one stage, which is called um, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. Okay, so it's about a Canadian astronaut who makes it into the American space program and he's traveled to absolutely nothing to do with business at all. Totally outside left field, nothing to do with whatever we do. However, there's about two or three chapters out of his book that I actually use when teaching small business how to run a company. And one of my favorite stories he tells in the book um, is about is the jet fighter. They're, they're, he's a fighter pilot uh, from qualification and they're landing on the runway over in Florida. And this one particular time, um, he runs this multi-million dollar jet off the edge of the runway. And so he goes to his commanding officer and, you know, okay, this has happened. And the commanding officer, instead of giving him a huge reprimand um, and going to town on him, goes, okay, let's look at what happened here. Why did that happen? So it opens up a whole culture of questioning and understanding. And what they found was in the actual tarmac, that they use over in Florida, um, there's a lot of grit and shell because obviously the type of sand and stuff that's around over there. And when that gets wet, it gets extremely slippery. So they were able to investigate what happened and how it happened, and then that knowledge was then shared. So it's interesting when you look at, you know, like Cebu, they celebrated 500 years of Christianity. A different look at life can so change what we can do. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. I'm going to have to read that book now. What was it? it was, what, uh, what was that called again? The, an astronaut's guide to life on Earth. An astronaut's um, guide to life on Earth. Yeah, it's by Chris, and I can't think of his surname, but um, Chris. Yeah. Cool. No, I'll I'll try and get it. We can put it in the notes for the uh, the episode for everyone to check it out and have a look at it. Um, 
just thinking about your team members, I want to get a bit more practical on the day to day and how you're working with them. But specifically around KPIs, how do you, how do your offshore team, how do they know that they've done a good job? What are they, what yeah. does success look like for them? And if there's mm-hmm. any specific KPIs that you use with them? Yeah. So um, KPIs for us, uh, are, we look at it as things that a staff member can influence. Okay. So holding someone to an account on 85, 90% productivity. Yeah, look, it's important, but it's not an overall KPI because if they get a garbage job, how can they control how much time is spent as opposed to how much time is lost? You know, or if they they got very needy. So looking at that as one element. So what we actually look at is we look at um, budget on job and we look at how how well that job's gone. Um, We look at feedback on a job. So and go through that and say, okay, let's have a look at, you know, what sort of feedback are they giving? If it's a bookkeeper, we look at the rules on the file. We look at the efficiency as to how the file is running. Um, and we look at, you know, jobs completed per month. So our staff have their whole year scheduled out based on hours and jobs. So they know how many jobs and how many hours that they complete. You know, um, for us, success is basically, you know, at the moment, um, our team are working on about 1,400 hours of completed work a year is what they've got off, you know, overseas. Um, and we're finding that the eyes overseas can churn through 1,400 to 1,600 hours of work um, because of the fact they have less interruptions than necessarily your onshore team. Yeah. So for us, success looks like, and it's actually one of the templates that we've built, which works, which feeds off um, Workflow Max, is each month as the hours get locked away, so the, the sheet shows the scheduled month, scheduled hours for that particular month and how many hours are remaining. And once the remaining hours drops to zero, that square is coloured the gold. So for us, we celebrate with our staff every time they clear a month. So when if they get to the end of the month and it's 100% clear, fantastic, awesome job, yeah. Um, if they come up with a brilliant idea, you know, um, Kay has a tendency to update procedures and stuff like that for us off her own back. She'll go, I'm low on work, and she'll go off and update procedures. And the way she writes and the detail and stuff that she puts in is just amazing because you take her procedure and because they don't know certain elements of what we do here in Australia, as they write them, they write them from their point of view. So write it from a very green person's point of view, which when you're onboarding a new staff member is amazing because they get this procedure and it's written from someone who knows nothing. And they look and go, I can follow this, as opposed to the assumption of, of information. So we, we try and celebrate with the girls a lot around um, how their job completion rates are going, you know, um, their satisfaction from their clients, their client feedback. We get a lot of positive feedback um, regarding our girls both on the phone and um, certainly with the work and stuff that they're doing. Was that something you had to work up to in terms of giving them, uh, being confident to let them be on the phones and all that sort of stuff? And again, I only ask because I know a lot of people would be hesitant to do that. So I'd be keen to understand, you know, how did you make that decision and and what were you comfortable with to allow that to happen? Yeah, so um, when we handed the jobs, the particular jobs that we handed across to Kay and also... Um, like Grace, as I said, she runs, she works on reception as well. Um, basically, when we did the interviews, we interviewed looking for certain characteristics. You know, so with Kay, we're very open with our clients. We tell them who who the people are. We tell them where they work. Very proud of the fact that we have you know staff that work for us out of the Philippines. You know, clients are just amazed that you know a, t- a small firm in Bacchus Marsh has staff working from for, from India and from the Philippines. You know, it was really amazing the response from the client. To the point where we've got clients actually requesting once COVID settles down and Kay and Grace come to Australia, 
They actually want to sit and meet the girls. They want to go to lunch with them. That's awesome. And sit and talk to them. You know? I love that. Um, and that's what it's about. It's about celebrating the fact that we are a multicultural company. Like internally, yeah. we've got staff from Japan and China and so on and so forth. And we're just added to our multiculturalism. You know, so for us, that's stuff to celebrate. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, no, well done, well played. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying. There's so many things to love about this this episode today. You're doing a fantastic job. I'm loving every part of your story. So, this is you mentioned before. So you've been doing this offshoring piece for nine years. Nine yep. years, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. well, how do you? Where does this evolve to next? So, you know, how do you? Where do you progress from here once? With the the model that you've got in place, so our our, our next stage is because we, as I said, with the law firm that we bought back in 2018, um, we're using offshore members to help us prepare um, legal work. Um, you know, so and our next evolution will be the additional divisions that we build to support our clients. You know, and as I said, there's there's certain services that we think we can we believe clients need a lot of work with or not a lot of hand. So that's what we're targeting next to try and help them with that. Yeah, you know, and that and for us, the support of our team, both in India and um, in the Philippines, by adding in the additional services, you know, um, we believe that's going to do a lot to help career path because the staff that are there now, so Kay, when we hire the next bookkeeper, she'll go into a role where she'll get a chance to mentor. So at the moment, Kay's actually doing some training on Receipt Bank and HubDoc with our new staff member here in Australia. So you know, as I said, they're part of the team. You know, building a career path is highly important. Yeah, I love that. So when you think about like the impact they have on the team, how much of an impact would it be if, if, if for whatever reason you had to turn off your offshore team, how would that impact your firm next week? Um, from an emotional point of view? I'll just say, so from an emotional point of view, our guys will be extremely distraught because everybody in the firm talks to, the, talks to our team. Yeah. So whether it be via Teams uh, using the messenger part or whether it be vocally, um, from a production point of view, um, it would hurt a lot. Yeah, you know the guys are just amazing with the support and stuff they give us, both in India and in the Philippines. They've done mm. an amazing job, and trying to replace those people right now would be extremely hard. Yeah, interesting. That's cool, and uh, we, we, you know, it's great to hear that they're having such an impact. So, you know, the million dollar question everyone who looks at this and some of the reasons firms look into offshoring in the first place is the impact on profit. Would you say there's mm-hmm. been a huge impact and effect on the profit in the firm by having these offshore components? Um, look, if, if people are going to offshoring because it's a cost analysis type situation, to me, unless they're actually going to use that money to invest in the human capital in the first place, whether it be onshore or offshore, um, they're making it for the wrong decision. Yeah, look, there is an impact. Yes, costs are cheaper, but it takes, a, it takes longer to get there. And if you're totally focused on cost, well, then you're not going to be investing in the people. And if you're not investing in the people, look, there's plenty of companies out there that will headhunt your team. And the reason your team member will leave is because the culture is not a right fit. You know, it's like I, I do karate, okay? And when, when you're going through and you're doing a training session, you know, understanding the moves of a carter or understanding what your opponent's going to do is highly important to the way you train. Yeah. So the same thing applies to business in that, if you don't treat people with respect and you don't provide career paths and you don't look after them, then they're going anyway. You know, so yes, it will be an improvement. But what you'll find is you may have a financial improvement, but what you'll also find is you could potentially end up with an emotional deficit because your staff 
that are doing the training will look and go, well, the owners don't really care and they're just treating these people as robots and churning and burning. Mm -hmm. The staff are the ones that create the relationships. They're the ones that are working with these people on a day-to-day basis. So they become friends and colleagues and they share stories and they're on Facebook and, you know, they're doing all this stuff together, you know. And then if you treat them as a simple profit gaining exercise, it's it's going to have a bigger deficit on on your onshore team because Mm -hmm. they'll see how they're treated and they'll see that you're not investing in them and they'll see that you're not doing the right thing. If you do invest and you do all that, your profit margin will go exponentially because the work will get through. You'll have more experience in your organisation. And all that will grow with the organization. But the staff here in Australia will get a lift because they can do more interesting things instead of just the, the grinding type work. Now, that's not to say the offshore team can't do more advanced work, but they become friends and they become a support mechanism that will drive your whole firm up. And they're always so positive. You know, the team is always so positive. You know? so. Love that. That's awesome. So I'm just trying to think, like we're coming into the end of the the, the session and we've talked about so many good things. Uh, if I think about, you've talked about the uh, education uh, development plans for team members, all team members you've talked about, including, um, you know, onshore, offshore teams should be treated equally, right? Everyone gets a birthday in a real simple way to um, yep. express that. Um, even just your last comments here around, you know, you're investing the money you're saving, you continue to invest in your team uh, and how your business performs. Like if that's what you're, you know, that that's your recommendation or your goal in that sense. Is there anything mm. else we've missed here? Is there a final nugget or, you know, a nugget or you would say someone has to pay attention to when they step into this offshore um, environment? I think, I think the biggest thing is when, when doing the interview, because we do, we do a, I want to tell select, obviously we do a lot of our own interviews from there. Um, the big thing is understanding exactly the type of person you want and giving that information to the HR team very early on. Um, and then when doing the interviews with the staff, okay, take into account what their test scores are, but listen to the people when you're talking to them because test scores are one thing. Some people perform a lot better on the tests than others do. And so some people, we've actually had a, um, a staff member that wasn't the best performer as far as the English test scores and, and accounting test scores were. But from a personality point of view, it was just amazing. Yeah. You know, and that and that's what led us to pick them up was because we created that connection. And what we looked at was our questions around um, the person was getting to know the person, getting to understand what their technical knowledge was at that, at that particular point in time so you can set a baseline um, to move forward from. Because at the end of the day, they are people, you know, and – if you look at the characteristics, you can't change. You can't change personality. So when interviewing, you've got to think, how would I go if that was if they were talking to me? How would I go if they were talking to my client? What would that look like? What do I want to see in that person? Having a really good idea as to what that looks like and how that person looks in your organization. I love it. Well done. Thank you. That uh, kind of brings us to the, the conclusion of the episode. So um, normally what I get to at this point, if, the, if people have been listening to this and they thought, hey, that's awesome, I'd love to learn more about yourself and, and what you guys are doing at, at Divinity Pain, how would you recommend people get in contact with you? Is it website, email, LinkedIn? I know I've just connected with you on LinkedIn as an example. Um, yeah. Do you have a preference? Um, no, look, I don't have a preference. Um, obviously, our website, devanypain.com.au, with pain being spelled P-A-Y-N-E. Um, we have a Facebook page. 
Um, more than happy to have a chat with somebody. If someone picks up my email address and they want to give me a call, um, hey, look, happy to chat to you, happy to go through what we do, happy to talk about the mistakes that we made. Um, that was one of my favourite things from a book that Richard Branson wrote is he didn't write about every success that he made. He actually talked about someone who's failing. And it was great to see that you know, someone as successful as he could make you know, simple mistakes and fess up to them. Yeah, I love that. I think the best stories come from the war stories most of the time yeah. because that helps influence what the success, the future success stories is the uh, the, the painful stories that happened before that. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for coming along today. Thanks for being on the, the show as it is. Thank you all audience. Thanks for coming along. You've heard another episode of the Outsourced Accountant Podcast, learning about offshoring, whether it's your first time or you've been you've tried to go down this path before. We hope you've enjoyed the session and we can't wait to see you again next time. Thanks everyone. Thanks, James. Have a great afternoon. You too. You're listening to the Outsource Accountant Podcast. To follow our podcast, Visit The Outsource Accountant or head to The Outsource Accountant Podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. To connect with us on Twitter, look for our handle at Toa Global or find us on LinkedIn at Toa Global. Like our Facebook page at The Outsource Accountant. Catch you on the next episode of The Outsource Accountant Podcast. Thanks and have a great day.